underestimate the power of PlayStation. Beyond, 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 beyond. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Podcast Beyond, episode 304. I'm one of your hosts, Greg Miller, alongside the pride of Long Island, Colin Moriarty. Only seven more episodes until episode 311. Greg. You've been counting down, episode 311. You can't wait. <laughs> the Dark Knight of News, Andrew Goldfarb. I'm just thinking about rhubarb now. <laughs> And my hetero life mate, Damon Hatfield. That's me. Hey, Damon. Hi. You're making your long-awaited return. You said you wouldn't be here till we proved ourselves at episode 300. That's what, yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> I'm not going to come back to this show for 200 episodes. No, we were just trying to figure out when the last time I was on. We, I know it was when we were down on the second floor, and that was like two years ago at least, so yeah. it's been a while. Uh, now, the way you got on the show, somebody tweeted at you and said, when are you going on Beyond? Mm-hmm. And you said, I'll be on anytime they'll have me. And that, well, that was... I, that's not... That's well, you said it cooler than that. Paraphrasing. But yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, did I say... I a transcript. <laughs> did I say quote unquote? <laughs> You're right. paraphrasing a tweet, which is crazy. Well, i got to shorten it up. Yeah. 140 characters. I don't have time for that on this show. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, remember, that's what this all comes down to, is that uh, we're not... We're not exclusionary on the podcast. We're just really lazy <laughs> and don't think about it until right before we do it. Mm. So if you ever want somebody on the show, let us know. We, next week we have Katie from the design team booked. And then after that, Steve Butts in Ooh. charge of it booked. So we, we're getting, I won't uh, be in either of those episodes. We're getting a full dance card. Where are you going to be? Next week I'm going on a super secret trip to do our super secret oh, right. exclusive. That's already come up, guys. And then the week, after that, on, then the week after that I'm going to Germany. Ah, I'm going to Germany. Springtime for Hitler and Germany. <laughs> Do you think I should bring up the whole World That's War II producers. thing? When I'm over That's there? producers. Yeah, yeah, I know. We yeah, got it. Well, I wanted to make sure the kid who's just thinking I'm singing about Hitler. So, <laughs> we've already told the swastika story on the show. <laughs> so when I went to Germany last time for Gamescom, Damon and I went. I, I, yeah. I wanted to be called Das Colin, and that's going to be coming back. I'm how, be only, only known as Das Colin on videos. Colin, how would you describe the service in uh, German restaurants? Outrage. What was it? Outrageously? Outrageous. Outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> We, the first meal we outrage. ate in Germany, we were just got off the plane from and we were in England and we got off the plane, went and ate, and it was just so fucking slow. It's like, what are you doing? And they pay their waiters and waitresses living wages in Europe. Yeah. So there's no excuses, Greg. They move at a slower pace. That's this, why is, they, this is why you tip, though. You see, you understand what I'm saying? This is why... To get you, better To service. get better service. How you do have they to, know? You have to jockey How do they that know? Service. You tip in the beginning? No, they actually get paid probably like 15 euro an hour or something like that. Oh, I see what you're saying. That's why we tip in the States so you get better service. Right. You know what you're going to love, Colin? When you go to Japan, you're going to receive the best service of your life. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Everywhere you go. It's going to be good. I'm going to Germany and then two weeks or three weeks later I'm going to Japan. Then I'm going to Comic-Con. Then I'm going to Seattle for the great Seattle Poker Summit. At Nate Ahern's house? <laughs> <laughs> the famous <laughs> annual poker right, Can I get a panel at the poker no, I, think, <laughs> I think we should do a pre and post show. Okay. The live stream. Yeah. Oh, my God. Right? Holy what? shit. <laughs> I was joking, but Greg is, we a should, light came into Greg's eyes. What if we went up there and did it World Series of Poker style with cameras and stuff, and you and I are just like, we don't really know what's happening, but the, <laughs> Nate seems happy, and Colin's really drunk. <laughs> We're the number one PlayStation Time podcast here on the internet. Colin, mm. let's begin the show with what is and forever will be the Roper Report. <laughs> Time for some news. Six items on the list. Six. The, fir- the first a half one- baker's dozen a half minus baker's one. Dozen minus one exactly. <laughs> uh, the simple way of saying it. it's. Uh, I still want to be right. The first, the first one 5. is the, the first one's the big one. So bear with me. This gotcha. is one of the longest ones I've ever written. I think, but you'll understand. Yeah. Sony's financials for the quarter are in from April first through June thirtieth. Sony posted a modest, a very modest, $35 million profit on $17.3 billion in sales. So they're in 
The black, Greg. That's what they say. The PlayStation arm of the company is actually losing money, however, yeah. mostly due to significant R&D costs for the PlayStation yeah, 4. Cut them, cut them some slack, Greg. No, this is the one part that's profitable forever. <laughs> with, the com- with the company will only be able to recoup and make a profit on this once they release the console, so it'll all be fine. During the quarter, Sony sold 1.1 million combined PS2s and PS3s and 600,000 combined PSPs and Vitas. Obviously, they combine these to mask the sales of the Vita, specifically. Um, but the Mask Vita, st- but the Vita. Vita still outsold the Wii U for the for the Ooh, quarter somehow. That's bad news. Uh, for the Wii by U. the end of the that's fiscal so year, crazy. Sony Sony anticipated it probably outsold it like two to one, which is even <laughs> yeah, crazier. Wii U was like, what one hundred fifty thousand worldwide yeah. for the quarter. But uh, 3DS is now selling the three sixty. Yeah, 3DS yeah. is do- 3DS is, uh, 3DS is, is doing well. Yeah. By the end of the fiscal year, Sony anticipates it will have sold ten million PS2s and PS3s and five million PSPs and Vitas. There are no predictions on PS4 sales, likely due to a lack of knowledge on supply. I'm sure they're still manufacturing the consoles as we speak. In terms of software, Sony sold 64 million units at retail for PS2, PS3, PSP, and PS Vita, uh, which is way up year over year, which is cool. This is this is the craziest stat. The company anticipates selling 319 million units of software by the year's end. It's a lot of units. Probably for that the is. PS4 as well. That really is the longest rope we're entry ever. Mm-hmm. That's everything you need that to know. Like the, but that was a I, good one. I, that was packed full of information. I read, yeah. I read the fiscal. Re- <laughs> I read the fiscal report myself. <laughs> not, not information about knobs. About seventy five pages, and that is the. Distilled. You read all seventy five pages. I flipped through it, yeah, and then yeah. If it's like this is about our chemical company. Well, they don't have the chemical company anymore. But this is about like movies, throw it in the garbage. Cameras, this is about yeah. TV or cameras, throw it in the garbage. Then I distill it all to games. And the overarching, you know, the overarching picture for the company that mm-hmm. I write. It's interesting yeah. that they're staying consolidated. They're not spinning off the entertainment arm, which had been pitched, which uh, would have been still pitched. Yeah, that's that guy's was... still talking about it. I read it in Variety. I think, he yesterday. just won't let it go. <laughs> Shut up, man! Get over it. <laughs> well, his, his hedge fund company owns like ten percent of Sony, so like he actually stands to gain an incredible amount of money just from the the sale of that venture and then receiving the capital from the shares. So, do you think it would be fun to make a like a Wall Street simulation game, a hardcore Wall Street simulation called Sonic the Hedge Fund. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was about to fall asleep until you gave the title. Do you, remember, do you remember the NES game Wall Street Kid? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was an interesting game. Number two. In an open letter to the company's customer, Square Enix Western CEO Phil Rogers confirmed that the publisher has a new Tomb Raider in development. <gasps> no, other detail, no other details are currently known other than that it's a next-gen title. And by the way, that letter is depressing if yes, you want to go read it. It really is. Uh, because he's basically saying that – we wrote about it on the site a little bit, but basically saying that like we have to try new things, uh, which you know means yeah, games that no one wants. He never really uh, identifies specifically what he's talking about, but I have to assume it's the, the flood of uh, free-to-play iOS games. That yeah. try to nickel and dime people, and that it nobody sucks. wants. This this reminded me with Capcom announcing Breath of Fire Six as a free to play MMO on your phone, well, I didn't which know makes free to play, or maybe it's not an MMO on it your is phone. a mobile game. Yeah, that makes you want to just put a gun barrel in your fucking mouth just thinking about that, considering what Breath of Fire is and like how good that series. It would was, be so good on Vita, right? It would be awesome on Vita, you know, and the SNES games especially, and Breath of Fire Three on PlayStation, excellent games, and. This is just – Capcom and Square don't understand one thing that I think is very important. Their bread and butter will always be with the core gamer, and they will live and die by the core gamer. And if they don't – if they really yeah. don't understand that, like, the Breath of Fire has no ca- like cachet with the dude on a fucking app store, like, that has no cachet. You're ruining it for yeah. the people that actually would buy Breath of Fire. But this is what we're always talking about, about that mid-tier developer falling out, right? They haven't had these successes. They need money. They need a success. They're going to go to a popular platform, right? Yeah, Capcom's in trouble, I think, too. I, you're seeing a lot of those sure. people. I mean, both of them, it's so weird. Square Enix always, you know, we've talked a lot about how their Western studios are now keeping them afloat. Like, the fact that they have, like, Tomb Raider and Hitman and all these other franchises. But, like, Hitman didn't sell super well. 
Tomb Raider did sell really well, but they saw it as a okay. disappointment. But I find it interesting. I, I forget who pointed this out on Twitter. Like they announced the Tomb Raider game as an aside in a fucking like eight paragraph long open letter. Like that's not how you do it. That is the reason why these games aren't garnering this like massive success. Like make a big deal out of it. Tomb Raider has the brand recognition to be a gigantic announcement. That could have been an E3 announcement. Like a new Tomb Raider game well, is a big deal. I'm sure it still, still will do a, be. A, a fi- sure. They'll still do an official announcement. Sure, but I'm just saying. Like like they are hurting themselves when they don't think about their brands as these gigantic things they are. I mean, Colin obviously has yeah. beaten the dead Mark. horse about Final Fantasy VII a billion times. Mark my words. When Carl Stewart read that, he was like, God <laughs> yeah. damn it! Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that Square's a weird company. Capcom's an even weirder company. Yes. Like, right now, I don't know what they're thinking with Breath of Fire. I don't know. Not that that's, like, a huge game, but, like, Breath of Fire has serious cachet with old-school RPG fans. That game would set... If you made... It's the same thing with Fantasy Star, right? Like, Fantasy Star 1 through 4, and well, 1 on Master System two through four on Genesis were really great sci-fi JRPGs. And then they make Fantasy Star Online, which is very successful, but they never make Fantasy Star 5. You know, like, where is it? It's the same thing with Breath of Fire. Like, if you're going to do it, do it. Do it right. You know, like, I don't, I don't think, I don't understand that every company needs to spend money to make money, and I understand every company wants to grow, and they need to find new ways to grow. But they're bread and butter, man, with these, like, if they want to make a mobile game, they need to make a mobile game with a new name and a new concept and, like, not ruin the shit they already have because that is ruining the hardcore cachet of a game like Mega Man or something like that, you know, which they just canceled, like, all of those Mega Man games last year. It's just weird. It doesn't make any sense. They're I mean, all trying to survive, but it's it's a THQ situation. It's a Sega situation of hot, I mean, like, Valkyria Chronicles is, oh, man, everybody loves Valkyria Chronicles. It doesn't sell super well. Put on PSP. All right, we're never going to do this again, but we will continue to put out all these Sonic games nobody wants. Yeah, and then they put their Sonic games on Wii U. Right. Well, that's where. That's, who else is going to play Sonic versus Mario at the Olympics? I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm, Sonic, the, the Olympics game sell well, but like that Lost World game, like they must have gotten a lot of money from Nintendo to do that. Because I mean, Sonic and All Stars Racing, I believe, sold the best on Wii U. I believe it. Or probably on Wii. And what, but, is, what does best mean? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's done tremendously well or anything, but I, I think they know that their bread and butter is families, and they know that they can appeal to the Nintendo audience in a way they can't necessarily in the middle of a next gen console launch appeal to PS4. I a lot about bread and butter. We love bread and butter. I'm really hungry. hungry. Yeah. I, love, I, want, I want some bread and butter. A little bit of soup with it. Also, <sighs> also Capcom, Capcom with the, like, you know, I played Remember Me because I wanted to see for myself. I actually ended up platinum in the game. What an underwhelming... I hate it so much. <laughs> what an, what an under, what's the way you what an extraordinarily it. underwhelming game. It's too bad. Like, they should... They, that was a good idea. They talked to me Great about idea. that game, like, when they were just in, like, sort of, like, the concept phase at Gamescom, like, three years ago, and it sounded really cool. I was excited for it. Yeah. I still think the concept is really cool. Yeah, yeah the and concept that, is cool. Even the world... I mean, I, I barely saw the beginning of that game. Like, I haven't played through it or anything, but the, the world building itself seems really interesting to me. It just seems like the game, like, the what they chose to focus on is kind of a dud. But I think, like, a, a new game set in that universe still has potential which is unfortunate yeah well they're not gonna make I mean no, I, no, I said that to some people like of course they're gonna make another one I'm like that game might have sold like 100,000 copies yeah. maybe you know like there's and I know people thought it was funny when I said it but when Sony dropped Remember Me as an exclusive that was a harbinger of things to come for that game I have no idea why Capcom picked that game up like thinking that it was, they were gonna make any money on it but whatever Number three. It's like flip this house, Colin. You pick it up cheap, and then you think you're going to be... Yeah, the game was probably it. already almost done, so... Yeah. Number three. In a Reddit Ask Me Anything, or AMA, as the kids call it, Greg. Yeah. Uh, Naughty Dog's Bruce Straley revealed the, that news about The Last of Us' first batch of DLC will drop this month. Boom. No details are yet if known. It's dropping. On if the drops. DLC will be single-player or multiplayer focused, I assume it'll be multiplayer DLC. Um, of course it will be. Single-player DLC will come, but I don't, I don't think... Sure. Not yet. Not you yet. keep them on the hook for that. that you bought the game to play the single-player story. You're done now, and now you want to keep that out as long as possible. Multiplayer is fucking awesome, too. And we may or may not have some cool things about multiplayer coming up on... There's some other cool stuff about that you figure, too, that today... Uh, I guess, actually, last night. 
uh, Druckmann tweeted out about their PAX panel, and their PAX panel is going to go into the alternate ending and what the like how they originally pitched The Last of Us. So it's going to good stuff. Yeah. Damon and I will be at PAX. Yeah, we're going to be there. One right. of us will cover that panel. If it's at the same time as Gamescoop panel, don't go to it. Go to, it's come not, to the no. Gamescoop panel. Gamescoop panel is on Monday at 1130. It's, uh, we, got a, we have a – well, I haven't confirmed that yet. We're, 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 we're going to have a next-gen developer on the thing. Yeah, 1130 in the morning. Yeah, on we're going to be talking about next-gen. That's all we're going to talk about. Ooh. Gotta get that next gen. Get it right from the horse's mouth. The get all up in that is horse's mouth. Is it You're talking about Ouya? Yep. <laughs> it's Man. here already. It's a Wii U developer. <laughs> <laughs> That's not next gen, Greg. I know. Number four. Sony Santa Monica revealed that support for PlayStation All-Stars is effectively over. That's pretty ironic considering I told everyone last week on the podcast that PlayStation All-Stars will never get any support ever again. After taking control of the game from Superbot Entertainment, Santa Monica released some characters in a new stage. The new stage was really cool. It was the Unfinished Swan in yeah. Medieval. But other than upcoming costumes and a much-needed balancing patch, support is no more. There will be no new characters and no new stages. Sad. Which is a bummer because that leaked uh, Gravity Rush Journey crossover stage looked fucking great. That yeah. would have been really cool. People wanted to see Dart. And I know yep. Abe was... Dart and Abe were the two, yeah. ...was a concept, but that's kind of the point. But Dart, yeah, the face of Damon... It's just such yeah. a waste. Yeah. Like they like, spent years and millions of dollars making this game. It's such a waste. Yeah, licensing is so complicated, though. I mean, like, they, there are... <laughs> I could have told them that. I could have saved them so much time and money. <laughs> Nobody wants a game where Sony's mascots battle each other. Fuck yeah. off. <laughs> I mean, I think there's some cool potential there. I just think they needed more third-party support than they had. Like, I think they needed way cooler characters than, like, the current version of Dante and Raiden and all these, like, crossover marketing things rather than these classic PlayStation franchises that I think probably they couldn't get because of licensing. It was to- it was one of those things we liked playing. We enjoyed it, right? But oh, that, that was a great it, it was because it was brought to us. We weren't asking for that, right? Yeah. That's the whole thing. And so you get it, like, oh, at first we're all like, oh, what a Smash Bros knockoff then you play it like oh this is fun but still like yeah i was really surprised yeah. by how good it was when i first played it yeah the people weren't ready to rush out and grab it was that. very well made and like the team that that made the game was created to make a fighting game and they're like and the pedigree and they, was and they, crazy they yeah. had like awesome people i mean and that was even before they brought over like seth killian and all those other people yeah so like the game i think is actually technically really fine and the game sold over a million copies so it's not like that's more than starhawk and twisted metal soul combined but like um, Starhawk. It's just it wasn't I think what they needed it to be, and I agree. There was a lot of snafus with, not really of their fault, but like with third parties. Like everyone wanted to crash and Spyro. Obviously, they don't. Sony doesn't own them anymore. They can't do anything about that. Like I really, it kind of frustrated me reading everyone's like ridicule of these kinds of things. Like, what do you want them to do? Like, what do you yeah. want them to do? Like, yeah. if Activision doesn't want to give them the ca- characters, or Square doesn't want to give them the cloud or whatever, then like, what do you want them to do? It doesn't, you know. It, I think it's an example of a, they should have kept that studio afloat and they should have done another one. Like, and that's my opinion. Like, think about think about Smash Brothers on N sixty four. Like that game, I thought was like super underwhelming, and it had like eight characters. It was like kind of bland. Awesome. No one really knew what it was. Yeah, it was when it. it was when it came to GameCube that everyone loves. Mm. That everyone you know Melee was like really like the one. Well, that that's was, the one that refined it's like, the we idea. Just need to, yeah, we right? need to, that's it, the whole thing. And that's thing. what I'm saying. Like, yeah, just yeah. give them. They should have given them another chance. Now, when we talk to Shuhei, he the, you know they don't close the door on any of their IP, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see PlayStation All Stars two. Like, not anytime soon, but, like, in five years. It would be radically different, though. It would be, I would guess, more of, like, what we all... Because remember that original, it was, what, the Paul Gale leak or whatever? Yeah, it was Sweet Tooth. Tooth. And we assumed it was going to be, like, a Tekken-style, like, 3D fighter. And then ended up being kind of this more, like, platform-based Smash Brothers thing. But um, I think it could be really cool to do it, go the other direction with it. Like, totally change the scope of it. Change, like, maybe focus on fewer characters, but have them be, like, really crazy and refined and more... Like, you know, they did this a little bit with Kratos. He uses part of his, like, God of War moveset. It would be really cool if he, like, let him fully have the abilities he has from the game with his own control style. Like, they could do cool things with it, but 
I, I, the, again, the look on your face. It's so niche. I was going to say, like, don't waste so, your time on that. Yeah, just, yeah. The character, like, it's just never going to be a, a huge phenomenon because those characters aren't beloved in the same way Nintendo's characters are. If they open it up and maybe, like, brought in Street Fighter characters or something, like, they, they would have to open it up to a greater pool of characters. Yeah. I that mean, would if, be cool, too, like a crossover thing. Marvel versus Capcom versus who, Sony. As someone who never cared about fighting games, what was fun about Smash Brothers was accessibility and then already knowing those characters and seeing them in a different situation, right? Like... That that idea is out now and been played out. And so when we saw Nathan Drake in there, I was like, "Oh, this is that's cool. It was, yeah. This is cool." But it's like not like, "Holy shit! I've never seen something like this." <laughs> I think it's over. I think I, I got to be fair. I mean, we had this conversation when All Stars came out. Like, I think it's kind of overstated how recognizable that Smash Brothers roster is. Like, if you, sure, if you once you get if past, you separate like, yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. like yeah, you have Mario and Luigi and Link. Kirby. Who the fuck Kirby. is Olimar? You know what I mean? Like, does, does anyone really <laughs> know who, who, Roy. Who, who Roy is and Ness? I mean, like. So, like, it, it, it's kind of the same thing where it's, like, people do know who Sackboy is. People do know who, like, Nathan Drake is now and, and, you know, Kratos. The so, of Turismo course, yeah, like, like, our, like, you know, Sir Dan is is PlayStation All-Stars version of, you know, fucking Roy or whatever. You know, like, like I, I that kind of argument, I understand, like, Mario is much more iconic than anything Sony will ever do, you know? But, like, if you really look at it, like, Ice Climbers, sure, you know, sure. like, like... But even, like, even, like, the Mario, the Zelda, those are, like... Like there's a, there's a merchandising business around that 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 doesn't exist for Sony properties like Kratos and and uh, Uncharted, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I just I just want to point out that piece. No, no, that, no. That really I totally get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't disagree that there's like, so there's... much nostalgia attached to those characters, right? That it, but now it's it's like every other form of media we talk about, right? You go home and you don't read comics because you have enough things to you have books to read and you have games to play and movies to watch and TV shows to watch. Like there's so many versions of everything, so many characters for original IPs and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm never going to be connected to a new IP like I was to Mario or whatever. Or something. Yeah, yeah. I, and and I I guess the confusing thing about this is knowing you know Shuhei told us that it sold a million copies. That was like the the one of the pieces of breaking news from Beyond the D3. Yeah. And you would think that that would be a success. $100 million, that's $60 million in revenue. You give a little bit to GameStop, taxes, and all that kind of stuff. Did the studio really cost that much money to keep open for two and a half years to make the game? Like, even if they lost like five or $10 million on it, you would think that they just like would want to do another one. You know, I don't... We don't know what the licensing yeah. was like, though. We don't know if they promised a huge percentage cut to each of the third parties that signed on. Like, there could be so many complicated business things behind the scenes. Yeah, it's, it's a... And they might have actually been discouraged by their interactions with some of the publishers. And we don't know yeah. anything about any of those, but you assume... That Square wanted nothing to do with the game. That Activision wanted nothing to do with the game. That like companies they really needed, like a cloud in that game or sure. no, that a Crash Bandicoot way. would have been yeah. huge, yep. you know. But they obviously, and I'm sure that they tried. In fact, we know that they did. So number five, SideQuest Studios has revealed, and we love SideQuest Studios. They did. Uh, what's yeah? What's, what's that game called? Soldner. Yes, Soldner X. Soldner X. Uh, SideQuest Studios has revealed more about its upcoming sequel to Rainbow Moon called Rainbow Skies. Rainbow Moon. We revealed the game back in February exclusively, but new details confirm that it's a PS3 and Vita game that will scru- support crossplay, and it's an indirect sequel, quote unquote, indirect to Rainbow Moon. Sequel. The company like also confirmed in the comments that the, of the PlayStation blog that the Vita iteration of Rainbow Moon is still coming, probably by the end of the year. Jesus Christ! Super excited about that. They did say one trophy list, so everyone uh, trying to get all jazzed about platinum again. Too bad. Is Rainbow Skies like a, a turn-based RPG again? Yeah, it's the same. It looks the same. It's uh, th- that game was actually really pretty. I thought Rainbow Moon was actually really pretty mm-hmm. um, and very vibrant, very you know vividly colored and stuff like that. Yeah, so it looks the same. Um, you know, this is an exa- SideQuest Studios is an example of a studio that focuses on one platform or one ecosystem, makes really good games, and makes money. You know, like you don't. And it's almost proof to what we're talking about with Square, where they sell six or seven million copies of Tomb Raider and they lose money. Now, I'm not saying Crystal Dynamics and SideQuest Studios are the same, but these guys managed to eke out a little bit of a living releasing PSN games. You know, they released Soldier X and Soldier X Two, excellent games. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
uh, and then Rainbow Moon, which is really fun. So I'm excited to finally play. I've been waiting for that Vita release to finally play it, and I hope it doesn't get lost in the flood of next gen. Whatever happened to Shatter? The developer was. They were supposed to announce they like a so new game. Many, they have yeah. a lot of announcements coming. That yeah, they, she, I don't know what happened to she. Like, and then they they did that thing last year in New Zealand, a games developer conference in New Zealand or whatever, where they were like, "We have more news on Shatter soon." It's like you said that two years ago. How hard <laughs> is it to make this game? Shatter came out in 2009. Just released the fucking sequel already. I can't take it anymore. We talk about this a lot. Like games, it's like you talk about that Contra thing from Konami like yeah. two years ago. They like, have, they, <laughs> I forgot about that too. Like people yeah. like announce they they do like a teaser, right? They just put up a logo and they're like expect more info soon. And then like nope. two years pass and we're like, whoa, whatever happened to this? See, but not and then so this doubles back to the Tomb Raider thing. By the time they get around to actually revealing Tomb Raider, people are going to forget that it was in a financial call or whatever. Sure, I guess that's a financial true. statement. I don't know. It's just it's just weird. But anyway, I, I love that these small studios exist, very t- small type studios where it takes them even a long time to port a game from PS3 to PS Vita. They keep their costs in check, and they I guess please their fans and they make money. I think I think it's very interesting. I mean, not everything has to be huge and make tons of money. You know what I, mean? I don't know. I, I say that first part a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, that's just your excuse. Number six, Index Corporation, the company that owns Atlas, is in a lot of financial trouble, and as such, it's auctioning off its properties, including Atlas. Word from Japan is that Sega has taken an interest. Apparently submitting a bid to purchase the company, which is bad news. Terrifying. The bid, the bid is apparently in the $200 million range. Atlas owns Persona and other and the other Megami Tensei games, Etrian Odyssey, Trauma Center, Catherine, and more. I, I really hope Atlas finds a good home. Do you, do you guys know how old school Atlas is? Atlas developed the Karate Kid for the NES. Really? I didn't know that. That's in 1987. Cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, they need to find a good home in Sega. Sega is it's not, not that home. It, you yeah. want to talk we will about never a per- see a per- Persona will be shelved. It'll be Sonic <laughs> no, no. versus Catherine at the Olympics. <laughs> no, it'll, it won't be shelved. Persona 5 will be like a fucking iOS free-to-play game. You don't want anything to do with that company in terms of like the hardcore the hardcore sensibilities of Atlas games do not merge well with what Sega's been I doing. I mean, but lately. they bought from I mean just to play Devil's Advocate, they bought Company of Heroes uh, or Relic from the THQ auction and that game came out and it's still you know, I granted well, that most of done. that work was done. <laughs> yeah. But I mean I'm just saying like they still are marketing that game and it's still got to live its life. It's really I mean reading the comments of like when this story broke which is on and all sorts of places on the internet or whatever, it's like, man, people are horrified. Yeah. Like and I, I really don't blame them. Like Sega, God bless them, do what you gotta do, like they have no direction and they just had layoffs recently too, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, and and like they they actually are making money, but like they're just going in a direction that hardcore gamers do not. You do not want to see a Catherine sequel from Sega. Yeah, just, that's Sega, all. That's all Sega that's has all more Sega. money than people think they do because it's not just Sega. It's they're Sammy. It's Sega Sammy. They're this yeah. larger company. Sure, sure. They make like amusement park games and all yeah. this stuff in Japan that makes them money yeah, in different ways. Arcades, it's, really. it's like their hardcore gaming business that I think people are concerned about. So who would who would we like to buy Atlas? I don't know. So I think I think I think Who's private that? equity firm yeah. would be the best. Yeah. Yeah, would yeah, be yeah. like the best bet. Allow them to operate independently. Yeah. So, like yeah. Atlas makes money. Like Dragon's Crown. Here's the thing. Like Dragon's Crown comes out this week, or it came out last week in Japan. It comes out this week in North America. It apparently sold through in like a few days. It's three hundred thousand dollar allotment of its first run, which is retail only. Mm. Plus, it's online. Like they're ma- this is going to be a huge game. You know, just like the Persona games are. Like they make money. It's like index. That's not making money. Like, but you so talk some about vi- this. It's the publishing. It's sorry to interrupt, but it, it's it's to clarify the development side doesn't necessarily make the money. It's the publishing stuff right. that makes them money, which is why it's a really weird purchase. Because like people are like, oh, Sony should just buy them. But like you pointed out last week, Sony doesn't need that publishing arm yet. That publishing arm is what makes Atlas money. Yeah. So it's like this weird thing where like buying the IPs of Persona and whatever else like 
those are huge in Japan, but are they big enough to keep to make that purchase price worth it? Yeah, but the the in my opinion, like the it, it's it's almost a redundant point because I agree. Like Sony doesn't have, like you, when you're paying the two hundred plus million dollars for Atlas, you're paying for its its publishing arm mostly, and then it has like a couple studios, and it like it publishes games that are ghost that are that it well it, there's two sides to it. They ghost produce games and publish them, and then they have other studios. It's kind of like um, Chunsoft would make. Um, like RPGs in the 90s and then they would probably be published by Enix you know like but no one knew that remember, yeah. remember working designs yes of course yeah Lunar yeah okay. like the so like there's like a lot of like weird minutia there and Sega might so Sega doesn't need that because Sega publishes games too but it might be worth the 200 million dollars to buy Persona you know like well what I mean what about Xbox what if Microsoft bought it so oh they actually God. they had a, chance, yeah. a reason I mean, for yeah. the J- Japanese audience to care about the Xbox That's one. true that's true that would be a disaster for, yeah, it, would just, for, it would just be a shame like Atlas is a multi-platform publisher sure. right all of a sudden, now you they're, snatch them up. They're, they're not making 3DS games anymore. Like I want to play Etrian Odyssey Five on my 3DS. Microsoft don't care. I know, Microsoft I wants you to play the Xbox. Be, it would be a huge coup, but like I, I don't. I think I think they realize. Microsoft specifically realizes after Blue Dragon and all these games that they made early in Xbox 360's lifestyle that no one cares. Like they, I bet you, like they are so into PlayStation and Nintendo that they probably just wouldn't play Persona anymore. You know, like mm. at least not the numbers indicated by you know Blue Dragon Connect. comes from the Dragon Combined Quest people. Personas. <laughs> well, it's just. You know, it's like, a goddamn chart. <laughs> like Blue, 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 everyone thought Blue Dragon was going to be this massive game, and Blue Dragon did well, but everyone thought it was going to be a massive game because the guys that did, you know that designed Dragon Quest designed it. it was like it was a it was a so, but like it didn't there was no sequel except for that 3ds game I guess you know so oh um, yeah forgot about that yeah so uh, like, isn't there like there's a lot of DS games I yeah think. so I don't know yeah it's it's uh, I hope that I hope some company just buys them and leaves them alone like they, there's money to be made with that company no Deep doubt about silver. it. silver. You know, they can, have they, they like, keep silver. <laughs> can we like get something together here? Can we, pull, can we maybe do a Kickstarter? Yeah. I have a twenty. Like, let's do right a Kickstarter now. to buy Atlas. We only need two hundred million dollars. It'll be owned. From. It'll be owned by Podcast Beyond. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you own all those IP, the Persona team, development studio, and all their. their... We get them. We're like, can you make PlayStation All Stars <laughs> Battle Royale two? <laughs> Abort this and make Catherine two. <sighs> That's the end of the Roper report. Mm. Uh, Andrew. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to play Persona on Xbox One, but that's not going to be out for a while. If I wanted to go to the store right now and buy games, where would I go to know what's in stores? The official IGN list of upcoming PlayStation software on all three platforms by the IGN editors. IGN.com/slash/podcast-beyond. We just make it up every time. Yeah, it lives right here. What comes out? Let's see. These are all digital, but some are available retail as well. Yeah, as well. Dragon's Crown. For a PS3 <laughs> and PS Vita. I like Dragon's Crown a lot. Yeah, we'll talk about that. That'll be topic of the week. Yeah. Tales okay, of Exilia okay. for PS3. Also Colin, buy it. Colin likes it. Ibn Ab for PSN. Greg and Marty yeah. love it. I'll, I'll be your surrogate Marty. Our review goes up for that soon. I don't know what we gave it. I have no idea. But the GDC not... demo we played drunk, we loved. I don't know the rules here. Can we not talk about these games? No, you can't. No, it's a conversational podcast. You can talk I, about I don't everything. know anything about Ibn Ab. Ibn Ab, it's uh, it, you're these two little characters that look like gumdrops, and you're running through like puzzle levels and stuff, trying to figure out. You got to work together. Like There's like a, a horizontal plane in the middle, and you can play from below or above. So the idea is you both have to cooperate to solve puzzles and continue your way through the map to make jumps. It's or very, charming, yeah. very it charming. It is. It's, it's very cute, it's pretty, cute art style, yeah. bright colors. Greg and Marty were the only people who finished the GDC demo that they had. Boom, done. Super and they said they were going to do weekly content for Ibn Ab from that point forward. <laughs> now, we said that over beers and pizza. I think we all knew that wasn't really going to happen. So. Uh, final game is Super Frog HD. Super Frog's an old uh, Amiga game, I think. Um, really? And, uh, yeah, that's, that's for yeah. PS3 and PS Vita. 
PlayStation 2 Classic, The Red Star. I remember seeing that in stores. have no idea what it is. Demos, Doodle God on PS Vita and Ibn Ab on PlayStation Network. Do All you right. think Super Frog could beat the Battletoads if they had a, a face-off? Damn it. No, no they I'll, couldn't. I'll the Battletoads are impossible to defeat. God, that game is still... That's the, always the example I use when people are like, game, this game's hard. I'm like, no games are hard today. <laughs> You're playing bat, like, there are games on the NES where I go into them going, I have no prayer of beating this game. Like, or yeah. like, it's going to be really hard. You know, like, play Castlevania 3 and tell me that anything today is hard. You know, that game is fucking tough. If you die, like, in the second half of the game, it boots you back to the middle of the game. Yeah. <laughs> there are things that are hard and different. Like, I mean, all that Cloudberry Kingdom stuff people are passing around like the insane plot and like super meat boy spelunky like people are trying to kind of revive some of that feeling but i agree for the most part like especially like linear story they're just not the same yeah for sure topic of the week dragon's crown colin you reviewed it Mm. we've all played it Mm -hmm. or are playing it i should say Mm -hmm. i like that game a lot me too that's all right you're playing it Mm -hmm. you playing on ps3 vita ps3 Mm -hmm. we're talking about this i think it's uh I think it's ideal to play it on PS3 on a big TV. It's so pretty. Yeah. It's a really pretty game. I'm it's, still sticking to Vita. The characters only. are kind of big. I think it would probably get a little crowded on the Vita screen, but I mean, yeah. whatever. It, it hasn't been too bad so far. The, the problem with the crossplay in general, Guacamelee, is this problem too. If you play it on PS3 first mm. and then you try to go to Vita, it's impossible. Yeah. But if you start on Vita, you're you're basically fine. yeah. That's the only place I've played it. Yeah, me too. I come in Ignorance is bliss. Is what yes, exactly, exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah so, um, what'd you get it, it Colin? Eight point five. What are your complaints with it? Um, I think that it was the story that you yeah the story gets great. in the way and I think a lot of people are going to see that when they start playing the game like a lot of people are like well, RPG has story and it's like this isn't a game this game would actually be better served without having a story at all I think and and you want to get into the action but like when you're in the hub town like the, the narrator will constantly reiterate shit that every really time you go into a building crazy, like you can yeah. shut that off and stuff but you shouldn't have to like there's little design flaws like that especially early in the game when you get to the second half of the game it really opens up a lot but in the first half of the game, you're constantly going from building to building to talk to people just to get to a new mission. Like that kind of stuff is not ideal for a game that really models itself after, you know, Princess Crown or, or you know, Golden Axe or something like that. Like we really just want to get into into the action. So um, that's a complaint. And there's only nine stages in the game. Uh, each stage has two branches. But I would have liked to see more diversity on that. It's a fifty dollar game, so it's not like a, if you know. This is where I think the price value for in a review comes into play because if this was a twenty dollars game, I think the score actually would have been higher. Um, but since you're paying fifty dollars for it, you have a retail expectation of length, and you are getting a twenty-five hour story um, or twenty-hour story um, per character. But at the same time, like you know, going to some of the stages gets a little redundant. But thankfully, the game is really fun. There are six characters to play as; they all feel completely different. Mm. Um, it's just a beautiful, like it's a vanilla game, so it's absolutely gorgeous. Of course, mm-hmm. absolutely gorgeous. Damon, who are you playing as? Uh, who did I start? Well, obviously the sorceress. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Now, why do you say obviously as a sorceress? So, the, uh, as everybody knows, as any person, as any reasonable person knows, when given the choice in a video game, you always play as the girl. Duh. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the, uh, the she has big boobs. She is endowed. Yeah. That that was yeah. a big thing on the internet. I'm yeah. playing as the elf. I also go by. Now, I also go by. I usually want to play as a female character, but I, my sh- elf is more like a green. The sorceress era. is intended to be like a more expert character. Yeah, yeah. you guys are hardcore. Like I but was terrified of the expert because characters. I was playing with cooperative with my friend, and he was the dwarf. Mm. Uh, so he he. You know, I figured like, sure, playing together it was made a little bit easier because I could just hang back and cast spells. Gotcha. Yeah, Smart. yeah. I started as the fighter uh, because it said. If you're a big idiot who doesn't know how to play this game yet, play as this. So I started as a fighter. I'll obviously do a playthrough as probably sorceress or actually elf. Looks Elf's awesome. a lot of fun. Yeah. I just I run out of arrows pretty quick and then I gotta hop around. But I'm all like ninja like, mm. so it's cool. I like yeah. that a lot. The game's really pretty extraordinary. I I would like to see 
um, Vanillaware get a shot at a sequel. I don't know what they're working on now. They just did Grand. S- they did Grand Night History on PSP, which didn't get ported. Then they did. They finished Dragon's Crown. You keep bringing it up. It sold super well in Japan, right? It sold really well in Japan. So yeah. the sequel should be pretty much a lock, don't you think? I hope so. I mean, it's really up to Atlas. Is, was- Atlas is the one who funded the game, and they're uh, in a lot of trouble right now. So yeah. I don't. I don't know if they're green lighting anything. They don't. Uh, they don't do a lot of sequels, though, right? They True. Do, like they just move from like Muramasa to. Yeah, they did Odin Sphere to Muramasa to Grey Knight History to Dragon's Crown. They don't do sequels. But none of those games sold. Like, I really, like, Odin Sphere was, like, like, did okay. Muramasa did well on Wii, but it was, like, a kind of a niche game. I don't know if, like, they've been given the chance to do a sequel, you know? Muramasa, by the way, when it came out on Vita in Japan, sold really well, too. So, like, Vita's, Vita's kicking a little bit right now in Japan. Like, it's, it's knocking around, like, 20, 25,000 units a week. Um, games are selling over there. How's that PSP doing? PSP Go, I mean, it's just—it's a runaway train. They don't even put on—they don't—they usually don't even put it on the, the list PSP anymore. I, I love the PSP Go demon. Digital only. No, I was—I was—I—I I wasn't joking because I think PSP is still doing really well. Yeah, PSP it is. It is. Really well. There's good signs though. So like, we always talk about PSP like overshadowing Vita, and I, I like study and like I'm obsessed with like the Japanese sales charts for some reason, and because there's all this weird shit coming out there, and also like it's a sign of things to come in the United States when games sell well there. I'm interested to see how they do well here. Soul Sacrifice is a good example. Um, and there's a game called Tukaden or Tukaiden, uh, that's like a Monster Hunter clone in Japan. And that actually, I think is going to come out here. I'm not positive about that. Anyway, they released it on PSP and Vita at the same time, and the Vita version's selling better. So like, so, and they both sold extraordinarily well. Like that game, is, that game is murdering. And so I think that like it is getting to a tipping point now, where there's enough games for people to want to go to. Like they're like, I'm interested in this game, but there's also Soul Sacrifice, and I can play God Eater and all this kind of shit. And I think. God Eater, Bert, like God Eater Two, or whatever is going to be another yeah. sign. Like that game's going to be out on PSP and Vita, and like if that happens again, then like the t- the tides are turning for Vita. Not, I'm not saying the Vita is going to start selling like Gangbusters. I'm just yeah. saying in terms of its balance against the PSP and how it's at like at a disadvantage perpetually against it, that might be changing. Yeah, then hopefully you see the PSP releases just gradually taper off and then let the Vita fend for itself for yeah. a little while. I I concur. All right, so you reviewed it. Mm-hmm. You didn't talk too much about this whole boob thing. Yeah. But KJ writes in to beyond at IGN.com and he says, What's more regrettable, Dragon Crown's controversial boob art or its lack of cross-buy? It's lack of cross-buy. I, I agree. Right? <laughs> the boob art is not regrettable. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, they made an artistic decision and a lot of people had a problem with it, but, like, that is the style of the game. That is not something I would imagine anyone in that team regrets. Yeah, it's not something really up for debate either because the, the I understand what people are offended by and that's totally fine, like, whatever like i think what people are losing track of and i i'm not like an art history guy at all i don't know much about this my, my, like it's like a huge blind spot in my, my historical knowledge but reading <laughs> reading a lot of reading a lot of like like what's his name george Camantani or whatever is like instructed by classical art and like you can see like his drawings in dragon's crown are really come from two different places from like antiquity well not antiquity but like classic like renaissance style art like um, and there, people did a lot of like side by side comparisons. Like there are direct odes. Like a lot of those sil- like stills of like people in the middle of the stages that you find are like direct odes to a lot of like art styles and p- specific portraits that were painted. Um, and the other thing that he's instructed by is like seventies and eighties D and D art, like the the crazy fantasy art that you would see on like the cover of a book or something like that. Like with the scantily clad man and the scantily clad woman. I understand why that's like offensive. The sorceress is obviously like over the top I think well they're all exaggerated yeah and the, like both the male and female characters are all exaggerated yeah I, I agree too like that they are all like you know like the fighter has like a tiny little pinhead 
and like the elf uh, or the right, but the, the, the elf's actually is, the most normal one. The dwarf is like totally ridiculous looking. But the fighter has a tiny little pinhead and is covered in armor. No, the, but the like, Amazon there's a guy or whatever you mean, is. Yeah, he's like totally. He's got he's a like, huge bear chest. Super sure. Hercules. I mean, yeah. I. It's this weird thing, right? Where like I'm not offended at all by it, but I also understand that people who are offended by it like can't just turn that off, you know. And it's a shame if that affects their enjoyment of the game. However, I don't think that's necessarily the fault of the game, you know. I think that is like something you bring into it. Um, yeah, like, I thought Jeremy Parrish wrote an incredibly good piece that covered both sides of this uh, on US Gamer. I think is absolutely worth reading because I, I think it's it's a weird thing, right? Like we at it doesn't offend me at all. I'm totally happy playing this game, but at the same time, if someone is offended by it, I'm not going to tell them they should not be. You know what I mean? Like people can bring whatever they want into this. If it prevents them from playing the game, that's unfortunate because it's really, really fun. Yeah, but like that's the, like, nobody's making them play the game, right? Right. Some some artists created something that they wanted to create, right? Right. You, that, that's the whole thing. You can choose to buy it or not. That's the only part you have to play in this story. Right. right. That's it. Yeah, I, I agree with Damon in the sense that like I think a lot of people don't understand one specific thing about really making a lot of noise about something like this is that you're, the game is now going to sell more. Like, you, you brought attention to it. Like, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that that's the case in the sense that, like, I understand people are really, like, genuinely upset about it. They're not, like, it's not like a machination of their mind where they're like, you know, I, I want to be upset about something. Like, some people are really offended by it. That's fine. I agree with Damon that, like, art is art and, like, there's going to be something that offends everyone and, like, that's just the way it is. Um, but, like, when people, like, make a big deal out of it, start writing editorials, start, like, you know, whining about it on Twitter or doing all these kinds of things, you are just bringing more and more and more and more attention to this game, you know? And I guarantee you this game will sell more now. Like, and, and we won't be able to, like, go into the data and figure out how that is. But I'm telling you, like, when you bring attention to controversial things and people are like, oh, this is controversial. I want to see it. Oh, I really – this is really interesting. I didn't know about this game. I want to buy it. Like, right, right, right. I'm yeah. telling you, like, those kinds of things. Like, I really feel like that sometimes you speak with your wallet, which I think is really important, like Damon said. Mm-hmm. And I also think sometimes you have to just be like, you know, I find this really shameful. Like, I really don't agree with this. Fuck them. Moving on. You know? Like, don't give it energy and don't give it attention. Now, I know some people think that that's defeatist, but I really think that that's kind of the solution to some of these problems. Is like, if you don't like it, hit them where it hurts and just don't give them the time of day. You know? See, I think that's the whole problem that why this is why this blew up the way it did when reviews started to hit right, or at least got you know a little beehive that got kicked. Is that it's such a raw nerve on the way girls are, or women are portrayed in games, right? The fact that like you're talking about like well, the, you know the other characters have armor on and they always show that you know these things. And like I always bring up about the Metal Gear Five, five trailer, right, where. They're all doing their crazy thing, and they're in the desert, and then all of a sudden, the girl quiet stands up, and she's just in a bikini, and it's like, all right. And but all I what do, game are we talking about? Metal Gear, the oh, Metal yeah, Gear yeah, trailer yeah. from E3, right? Where I was yeah, just yeah. like, why is she the only one who's like? But again, for me personally, that's just an eye roll, right? But it's an eye roll at the fact of that's kind of just what I've come to expect from, especially Japanese games, and the way they draw or characterize women. I think a lot. This being one of them, right? I mean, it's not even so much like the art of how that she's like this, you know full-figured, big-breasted woman. It's the fact that, like, her, as she runs, like, her boobs animate, bouncing up and down differently, which I guess is realistic, but just the way that it's ex- super exaggerated, yeah. right? I understand. Yeah. Like, I totally get it. Like, I, yeah, I, no, like, no, no, no. There's no part of me that's like, I don't understand what you're... What's wrong? But, like, at the same time, it's an artistic choice. Like, the game is what it is, and... You know, Tales of Exilia is a good example. Like, I'm going to see how upset people are about Mila in that game since she wears nothing but, like, she wears, like, a tube top. She has, like, her stomach open, a little skirt, you know? Like, lots of weird camera angles. Uh, the, there's, like, weird, there's a lot of weird offensive shit in that game. And I'm, like, wondering, like, offensive, quote-unquote. And I'm wondering if, like, people are going to make a big stink about that, too. You know? Like, yeah. and I really just feel like sometimes you got to hit them where it hurts and, like, just not... They, 
I think some companies, and I'm not saying Atlas or Vanillaware is like this, but some companies want this kind of controversy, and they don't care. You know, like they don't care. Any publicity is good. Yeah, publicity. exactly. And you know, I I feel like we're in such a great time right now with strong female um, protagonists and antagonists that like. You know, there's a lot to celebrate right now. I think the people that were atta- that have been attacking like Ellie and The Last of Us as being that's like, crazy. Like you are so fucking off base about that. Like it's not even funny how off base you are about that. That is like one of the strongest female characters I've ever seen in a game. You're nuts. You know, like and some people are upset about that, and so that kind of tells me like there are some people that like you can't do anything right with yeah, a, I thought with all, a woman. I thought, I mean, like as a player and a critic or whatever, I thought all the characters in the Last of Us, female especially, were some of the strongest. Yeah, like, like it's best, insane. Like, like it's like like that's like the weirdest game to point out and be like they're like with Tess and Ellie in that game. Like you're out of your mind, but to each his own. But like there are a lot of you know really great examples of strong female characters. You know. Um, I understand some are some are worried about them being bastardized, like like lightning in Final Fantasy thirteen three or whatever, where they're like talking about all this fucked up shit. Yep, um, that's weird, and I think totally okay to be upset about that if you want to be upset about that. I have no interest in that game anyway. Um, but when you look, at, yeah, when you look at Ellie or you look at even a Remember Me, um, um, you know, like a really great female character, Tomb Raider, like there, there's awesome female characters and so let's focus on the positive and let's give those people the money. You know, like that's I guess that's what I'm saying. Like send the right messages. And you're going to get what you want back. It might just take some time. That's all. You know? I just feel like when you sometimes you got to be careful about what you protest and get mad about. Because Colin, it's so much a- easier to complain on Twitter and start an online petition. <laughs> <laughs> that are always so effective. Right? Touche. Yeah, I just uh, – some of this – yeah. That, so the Dragon's Crown stuff, cool. Like that's yeah. – if that's, you know, more power to you. I think that a lot of people giving gruff to some people about their reviews is wrong. Um we all review games from different places and bring in different things to them. I think you have to review the product, and I think that that's what was done. That is the product. Um, but yeah, the last of a shit is like infuriating to me because I'm like Ellie is like so strong, such so stronger than Joel. You know, like so much stronger than Joel. Play the game. Yeah. You know, Mr. Cruz Alvarez writes in. He says, "My question is for the Pride of Long Island, the man carrying IGN PlayStation's coverage, Colin Moriarty. Seems that both Dragon's Crown and Tales of Exilia come out." This Tuesday for the PlayStation Hardcore on a budget. Is it going to be a hard decision to choose one over the other? I myself am buying both, but since you reviewed both games, I was wondering which game you would recommend to people and why. Dragon's Crown. Okay. And then why over Tales? I think Dragon's Crown just has crazy replayability. Um, Actually, Xillia does too, um, which is strange because they they usually don't, but there's two different characters, two different perspectives. Um, But I think Dragon's Crown is you get much more bang for your buck. I think it's a more fun. I think it's a funner game. I give it a higher score. So. There you go. But Exilia is, you know, worth buying. Mm, 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 okay. This is the best part of the podcast. This is the one we like. <laughs> I want to. I want to. We got a whole bunch in here. I'm trying to find the next good one here. This Damon one has a cool shirt on. Yeah, he Kaiju, does. You and one can see it at home. I'll you go stand in front of the camera right now, and I'll screencast it. <laughs> this part, and it'll be the album. no, no. Stand up and get real close, and I'll screen cap that and put it up as the album artwork. It's kind of dark. <laughs> yeah, no, it's too dark. All right, well. If I lean back, okay, <laughs> <laughs> podcast beyond. There's the thumbnail. Awesome. That was good. That was fun. Um, let's go with Zori's question. My name is Z. It's Zori. Spoilers. And I've been listening to you guys for a while now. I've heard you guys mention your musical interest, but I wanted to know: Is anyone into hip hop? I know Colin likes rap rock, which is funny. But what about actual <laughs> rappers? Uh, thanks, guys. Love you, motherfuckers. Beyond. We repping Casey Mo, fellas and the ladies know. Tech Nine? Damon and I like Tech Nine a lot. Yeah. And now we like White Jesus, the, the Ritz. <laughs> strange music in general. All of strange music's pretty awesome. I've rap mixed in. Like, I mean, awesome. I listen to, like, Kanye and Jay Z and, like, famous rap artists. Uh, I like Kid Cudi a lot, but I don't regularly listen to rap, like, exclusively or anything. 
Right now, I'm really into Trinidad James and Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar is good. He's awesome. Colin? He's on a Lonely Island song. You were rocking some Wood Biscuit last night. Oh, I love the rap rock. When was the night? One night this week, Daft Punk is going to be on Colbert. Is it last night or tonight? I don't know. Anyway, I think that's cool. Yeah, hip hop. I mean, I love hip hop. I, I, you know, De La Tribe, Wu Tang, all that's the stuff cool. I grew up with. And then um, more recently, like I'm really into Wiz and Currency, and um, I like Wiz. You know, uh, I mean, I, 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 I'm really into Bun B lately. Lately, I like fucking love that Trilogy record from 2010. I think that's like really one of the best hip hop records I've heard in a long time. Like that, that album's awesome. So yeah, hip hop. You know, I love rap rock. Yes, but like rap rock is instructed by rap and rock. And like I don't understand how you can like it and not like rap or rock. You know what I was thinking yeah. about the other day was that Judgment Night soundtrack. Judgment Night. The that was Emilio like, Estevez. They were in an RV. And uh, Dennis Leary was a bad guy. Right, anyway, right. the soundtrack was like it brought rock bands and rappers together, and then they collaborated on each track. And it was like one of the like, sort of you know really early rap rock stuff. So it put like uh, Helmet with House of Pain oh, awesome. and Faith No More with Booyah Tribe. Did you got to look it up? For yeah, you I, mean, I don't think I've even heard Every song on there is like a solid rap rock song. Cool. Yeah, yeah I like like real rap rock and like rap metal now now the new rap metal band i've been listening to that's a new band from from britain is called uh hacktivist and they're really really good really really like the most technical rap metal i've ever heard in my life like surprise it's not just like i like that you pointed at me like i was gonna be like no hacktivist is the worst they have like serious chops eight string guitar um like like you know six string bass like create like really technical extra strings well it just gives you more range you know and i i think you know just Excellent page. Look them up. Okay. Man, of all the episodes for Altano to not be on, that would have been a good Altano question. Chris writes into beyond at IGN.com just like you can, and he says, Hey, IGN. So recently I picked up a copy of Dead Space 3, Ghost Recon, Future Soldier, and Far Cry 3. All of them make for a great co-op experience, but each has the same downside. No split-screen co-op. Each of these games requires you to play online to access the co-op experience. Then he goes on for a while to ramble about how he's in college and he's really poor. his friends are poor and they can't afford to play with him online. So he goes, my question is, is split-screen dying out? Yeah, but that's yes. like... Come on, it's been that's that's not new. Yeah, yeah. Split screen has been rare for a long time now. I mean, I want to say Splinter Cell has it. Uh, Borderlands Two has really good split screen. Like, Dragon's Crown does. Yeah, like there are games that still have it. But yeah, like as it, I mean, as a like permanent multiplayer box feature, yes, yes. it is, and it's because games look awesome, and I don't want to see the experience cut, cut in half and be a piece of yes. crap. Or exactly. in four. Remember, I mean, remember playing Goldeneye and N sixty four? Like you'd be playing on like this little like one foot by one foot part of the screen. And yeah, it was yeah. fun, but it was like, Jesus Christ, yeah. why would you want to play like that yeah, if you didn't have to? Now that, you know, screens are all like wide, TV, your TVs are all widescreen, it like totally ruins your... It's like of, broken. Yeah. yeah. It's like the, people do a weird diagonal thing in, yeah. uh, in, what is that, in like the Lego games, I think? Yeah, yeah um, Lego games you can yeah. run aside now and it turns... Yeah. It scri- turns I mean, it, it's a weird thing. Uh, people, when Wii U was announced, were like really annoyed that you weren't going to be able to play like four-player Wii U gamepad games. And it would look awful. Like the frame rate would be bad. Like you just can't split the image that many times and have it look good like I don't think yeah. we will probably ever see like a really maybe not ever but I don't think we will often see a like really high production quality four player split screen game it's interesting to me that I think that's why you still find people still playing uh, N64 and totally. playing Goldeneye and playing Smash Brothers 64 right or even GameCube that the fact that in college when you don't have any money you can pick that up and have something to play because those games yeah. Stand the test of time. Not in beauty, but in fun. Mushroom and toy, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> uh, fighting games in general are a really good solution for this. Like, fighting yeah. games will obviously you'll always be able to sit down and plug in a bunch of controllers and play. But, uh, yeah, like, as far as, like, story-based games, it's, it's probably hard, especially for more than two players. Colin. Yes. 
Uh, I think it was two weeks ago, actually. We talked a little bit about GameStop, used games. Mm. Them going, you know, all this other stuff's happening. And basically we were saying GameStop needs to go away. Yes. We're, we're done with them. We told horror stories about how we'd both been, had horrible experiences at GameStop. I have a Wii. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we talked about Ready at Dawn arguing when they tried yeah. to sell him a new copy of the game that was really just a used copy. Henry F. writes in. And he, he gave like a long, heartfelt letter. I'll, I'll jump through some of it here. It's hard to find the right words to type in this email to express just what I want to say. First, I want to acknowledge just how much entertainment and information I get from reading IGN.com on a daily basis. It was with much sadness that I actually had to turn off one of your videos and walk away from the computer. Wow. Before I go any further, I'll slap the Scarlet G on my chest and identify myself as a GameStop employee, although not one resembling any of your editorial portrayals. He then goes on to talk about how he's won customer service awards for going out of his way to get stuff. He's not one of these guys who's pushing the guide and all other stuff mm. my girlfriend and i work at gamestop because we're nerds who love video games so much that we want to make sure other people get the right ones for them and make enough money to go pay back our college loans from which we reap no benefit and support our four-month-old baby boy the purpose of this letter isn't to say that criticism against gamestop isn't unjustified it's just talking about how to change it instead of reading story isn't after story and what sorry i think he used a double negative it's a, yeah isn't justified. Mm-hmm. Okay. He means that, hey, GameStop fucks up every so often, but let's not just burn them down every time. Instead of reading story after story and watching video after video where the underlying idea is, quote, can't GameStop just go away and die a horrible death? <laughs> Why have I never seen or read anything to the effect of can't GameStop just be better? In my vision of the future, GameStop would be something like a bar. Even though it's cheaper and more convenient to drink at home on the couch in front of your TV, you go to the bar because there are other people there who came to buy some drinks, socialize, and have a good time. Henry I mean, F. I feel like he missed uh, part of what Again, that conversation Again, this is a huge letter, so I'm yeah. sure. It's just, that conversation was more about GameStop's business evolving, and you guys were anecdotally talking a little bit about the kind of in the stores, how you've had personal bad experiences, and how the model is a little outdated. But the conversation was largely about the transition to digital and how right. it's going to be harder for them to be relevant in the business. I don't think I don't think that was meant as a personal attack on GameStop employees and obviously there are like incredible people in totally. these stores who fight really hard to make sure people play good games and you know are responsible about not selling kids M rated games and all of that stuff and like well, they, that's I don't not like to undermine what they do. But yeah. the games. <laughs> but I mean for real though, like I, I think GameStop has much bigger problems ahead of it than what it's perceived as and what its employees are perceived as. Like I think the the much bigger problem is that there may not be discs for them to sell. Right. Um, regardless of that kind of bar. Metaphor. Yeah, there there won't be. I mean that's yeah. just a, yeah, it's not a, obviously it wasn't a personal tag. I agree with Goldfarb, like the meat of the conversation was about like GameStop is going to die. It's like not it's not a question. You don't think his bar analogy will work? No. I don't I don't think no, I don't I don't agree either. I like I I don't like I think GameStop has GameStop has as much time as Sony and Microsoft let them. You know, and like when Sony and Microsoft decide that like they don't want to do this anymore, it's over. Like that, it's basically going to be that simple. And the only reason that they haven't done it already in a more aggressive way, like we said, is because they need to rely on these guys to sell the hardware still. Yeah. You know, like once they don't want to like burn their bridges. You can't download a console, so yeah. Like once the consoles are out there, and like once it's five years away, and once people are using Amazon more and getting things more online, it's over. It's more of the infrastructure of the United States, right? Yeah. Once broadband internet is easily accessible to everyone somehow to super speed internet to download big games that are gigabytes and gigabytes that's when it really changes i think yeah. like i think i think like i said like you'll know what's happening when sony starts to say like we are going to charge 30% less for our digital games when that happens it's over like that yeah. is the, that is the first domino now like of like the dominoes that are going to quickly fall and it sucks and it's sad like i don't want people to lose their jobs and brick and mortar stores have a purpose and stuff but clearly they're not going to survive this yeah like i haven't been to a gamestop in a long time i generally find it a pretty unpleasant experience i buy all my games from amazon it's just so nice and convenient 
It's all. It's usually cheaper. It's it's just great. Yeah, it's cheaper. Yeah, day one. Yeah. you know what? Day one. Uh, ship to your release day. Shipping, release day yeah. shipping for ninety nine cents. Like, yeah. come on, it's great. I think um, to for Henry's edification, like this isn't also an attack on GameStop specifically. This is true of the video game aisle at Best Buy and the game section sure. of Walmart and any other physical games retailer. Right. Like, we're not trying to pick on GameStop specifically necessarily. It's just uh, yeah. And I mean, to Henry's point too, like I told the story about the Prince of Persia guy that I, was, <laughs> I swore off of GameStop for three years in Columbia, Missouri. Like, uh, especially in our travels and working at IGN, the great GameStop employees way outweigh the bad ones that we yeah, met and course, dealt with. Of course, keep, of course. The mic keeps kissing me. <laughs> well, even even your Prince of Persia story ended with another GameStop employee being like, no, we're awesome now, right, come, come back. back. Yeah. And then there was the time where I got mad at GameStop downtown for jerking me around for some game. And so I had Jim Riley and I, we went over there together and he was going to film me make a scene in GameStop. I was going to walk in, I was waiting in line, and I was walking up to the checkout counter in SF downtown. And I was going to be like, excuse me everyone while he filmed. And I'm like, I will never shop at GameStop. And then in line while we were slowly going, one of the people working at GameStop recognized me. And so when I got up there, he's like, are you Greg Miller? And he was all like talking like, to me oh, and he's no. like, and I explained what I was about to do. And he's like, oh man, I'm so sorry. And he gave, you know, he, he corrected the problem. And right. I still go back to that GameStop when I'm down there just to say hi to him because he still works there. Yeah. I do think one point Henry has about this kind of bar mentality and about this kind of social experience is midnight launches. Um, not right. something That's I good normally point. go to, but I think midnight launches are really cool. If you live in like a rural area that you don't go to PAX, you don't go to these conventions often, midnight launches are rad because you're meeting up sure. with a bunch of super fans. People dress up. I mean, people make it an event and that's really cool. Um, I don't know how you harness that for more than like the four times a year those huge games come out. But um, what happens to the midnight launch in to the midnight launch in the digital age? Are people going to like get together, like yeah. download? I mean, the Bioshock chat room gets really I mean, exactly. What I think, I think what it'll be more of for sure is Twitter or whatever yeah. social media we're on. Right, the fact that I I have it preloaded, I'm starting, and then all the twit picks start of like the yeah. press start button. Well, it's also like an AMA on Reddit right at the time the game launches and stuff like that. Like you're still interacting with developers. It's just maybe not that like dress up and go to the store experience. Just dress up at home. Dress up yeah. and go to the yeah, store. Yeah, and, and I will <laughs> say like. Even though it's sad, like people are, you know, eventually, like these stores are going to close and it's going to affect people and stuff like that. Like, it's going to benefit the industry when this happens. Like, th- that's just the end of it. That, that, that's like, that's it. Like, games will become cheaper. Everyone expl- it complains about how games are more expensive. And as I've said over and over again, they're not that expensive compared to the way they were in the 80s and 90s. But, you know, this will bring games costs down and create parity with digital games. And, and look at Steam, like, with all their crazy fire sales and stuff like that they have, like, just crazy prices for all these great games and look at PSN selling a game like uh, Max Payne 3 for 7 or 8 bucks you know like yeah. you can't do that at GameStop you know because like GameStop has to pl- you know pay the truck driver and the guy who loaded the cargo onto the truck and has to pay the guy in the store and he has to pay Sony and he has to pay Microsoft and like once you remove all of those barriers and kill the middleman games will become cheaper and, yeah. and we will all benefit I mean, we talked about this last week a little bit, though. I don't think GameStop one day is just gone. Like, I think they will try to adapt. Sure. Like, Microsoft, before they changed their Xbox policies, their big thing was, like, there are still going to be ways to sell your digital licenses. There are still going to be ways to have a secondhand market. I don't think, in the very long term, obviously, that goes away. But I think GameStop will try to adapt to some capacity within the next decade. GameStop owns Congregate. Yep. And Congregate is now, you know, they make money off that. And now Congregate is moving into uh, mobile games, yep. obviously. So they're going to, you know, they can, they, that can be a revenue source for them. For sure. And they push free-to-play really hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, there, there are so many other revenue opportunities. I just think, you know, GameStop can find new ways to make money. I just don't think what we think of as GameStop will be around mm-hmm. within 5, 10 years. Yeah, and the scale of that company is going to have to diminish significantly. For sure, for sure. You know, I'm not talking only about their, like, their stores. Obviously, those are not going to exist. But, like, if GameStop exists and they are Congregate or whatever, and, and Gamefly did the same thing, I think, with Direct to Drive and stuff when they bought them, and, like, 
you know, the, the scale and scope of these companies is going to be very different. Will GameStop exist in a name in 20 or 25 years? Probably. You know, like, will you be able to go to the mall and buy a game in 10 or 15 years? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Christian writes in in the same vein. Personally, I prefer to go and buy games at GameStop with the sole reason being that I am a quote-unquote pro member. There you go, Damon. Direct quote. (laughs) That gives you a point system that you build through different ways like buying new games. With the points I get... With the, po- with the points, I can get some nifty video game-related items, like a shirt. Or I could redeem the points for Pretty coupons <laughs> used in store. My question is, do you ever see Sony adopting this sort of marketing strategy to better boost the PlayStation Store's appeal? They do it now. They, they already do. Like, yeah, PlayStation, The play event and stuff. Yep. Every, every yep. Play event, and I think uh, Nintendo actually, you know, surprisingly, right, this is one of their really smart digital approaches. If you bought the Wii U Deluxe model, you get this thing where you get a return on all your digital purchases. And, and yeah, Sony does that with Play. I think it's really smart. If you And Xbox has always done it with Summer of Arcade, too. If you buy mm-hmm. everything in this promotion, you're getting money back, or you're yeah. getting one a more game. game right? yeah, or, yeah. yeah, and I think that's a cool way to do it. I mean, it's funny, right? Sony and uh, Microsoft both have these uh, digital goods. You know, Microsoft has all the Avatar, like the stupid Battlefield brick wall and yep, the yep, yep, Songbird yep. helmet and stuff. And then they also have themes and gamer picks and all that stuff. Um, I think that kind of stuff can be a really easy reward to incentivize people uh, for buying digital. But yeah, I mean, th- that, that's an awesome idea. I think promote like digital purchases by offering something, I think, is a really smart approach. And I think they'll totally adopt it more and more. All right. I have two quick fire questions, then one final question to talk about before we go. Uh, Matt Wilson resent his question to beyond at IGN.com, Andrew, because you weren't on last week. Oh, okay. Uh, man, oh man, Bioshock is going to back to Rapture in Burial at Sea. What do you think about this? Are you excited about this? Yeah, I really am. I think it looks really cool. I think um, we have some more stuff coming this week, actually, uh, kind of a deeper dive into what it is. But yeah, I think it's awesome. I mean, it's it's early. They're not talking about plot details or anything yet, but I love Rapture, and I love that world, and I think Irrational holds it very dear, and they wouldn't be returning there if they didn't have a really cool approach for it. And I think playing as Elizabeth, too, sounds awesome. Like, I think uh, they're thinking about it right. The the big quote they keep saying is that it's not just going to be, you know, Booker in a dress or whatever. It's <laughs> going to be Elizabeth will feel different, will operate differently, and I think Rapture will, will feel different, operate differently than Columbia did. So, I mean, granted, though, you have to rein in your expectations a little bit. Like, this is DLC for an existing game. So I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's going to be totally different. Maybe Elizabeth will be third person and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, it is still going to be Bioshock Infinite. Um, and so I think if you don't like the combat in Infinite in general, you're not going to suddenly like it in this. You know what I mean? I don't think it necessarily changes the whole game. But yeah, I'm sure they have cool story stuff coming. I'm excited. Okay. That's Bioshock fan number one, Andrew Goldfarb. Excited <laughs> for the DLC. You guys, what about you? Yes. yes. Yeah? You said this is quick fire. This isn't very quick yeah. fire. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's one. It's just shorter than our normal. I ramble. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think Rapture is much more interesting than Columbia. So, mm. yeah, it's cool that they're going back. All right. Get, get your thinking caps on this one, everybody. Steven writes into beyond at IGN.com just like you can. He says, a while ago, Charles Onyet left IGN. What are some of your favorite <laughs> memories of Mr. Slime? Personally, I'm going to miss his opinion coverage of PC games and games in general greatly. <laughs> I, I could talk for 45. I, I love Charles. I miss Charles so much every day. I really do. I, uh, I loved coming in every morning and just bothering Charles. And, and, like, I was always the first one to annoyingly talk to him in the morning when he hadn't had coffee yet. Uh, but, I, I mean, actually, I'll bring up Bioshock again. When we went, again, when we went to that uh, December event and played Bioshock for the first time, we came back to the hotel at, like, 11 at night. And Charles was like, I really want some fries. And we went to this bar and ordered fries and a bunch of beers. And I got to, like, early unwind with Charles. And I really like Charles. I think he's awesome. Okay. One time I saw Charles on a date. Ooh. Oh! I was my dad was actually in town and we were at this bar called Orbit Room here in San Francisco and I look across the room and Charles is like at a table with a girl. Did he see you? Yeah, yeah, I know. Like went over there and said hi and and 
which is very nice, and he, they seem to be having a good time. It, I don't think uh, he. Did saw you like her. tag along for the rest her? of the night? <laughs> <laughs> You're like Charles. Me and my dad are going to come. It's just interesting, you know. We, we've always known Charles to be a single guy. Yeah, we know yeah. he's been dating, and I've seen him out in the wild on a date. Mm. Feels very special. He's a good-looking guy. He could probably get a lady. <laughs> Tom, what do you got for me? Oh, Charles is a silent warrior, isn't he? I know. Yeah, he's yeah. quiet, dude. I mean, like, I've had really great experiences with Charles, like in many, you know, d- different events, or when we went to, you know, Germany, or. There's just you. You get nuggets. The more you know him, you, you like you get nuggets from Charles that are like, well, I play poker with Charles like every few weeks before Nate left. We would that was like a tradition of ours with like a bunch of people, and he's just so funny. Like he's yeah. such a great dude. You know, like Charles is really a good person. Yeah, like yeah. that's what yeah. I love most about him. Like he's just a really authentic, um, friendly, kind, smart kind of dude. You know, and he is him. really. I mean, I think he is a little understated. He's obviously a little quieter than Greg or like some of the other people here. But I mean, I, I think uh, who isn't. A, uh, people might not realize how legitimately funny Charles is. Like Charles is really smart, really hilariously funny. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I miss him for sure. My favorite thing with Charles is always making him laugh. I always felt like I accomplished yeah. something. And the, yeah. what my favorite thing to do, and this is my favorite Charles story, is that I, I had this terrible photo of a snake or a, a drawing of a snake, a cartoon snake, and I would just randomly text it to him at times, and he would just <laughs> reply back with a lol. And one time I got late to a Battlefield Three event, I believe, and he was up there taking notes furiously, and I I came in late and I could see him, so I had a PR person tap him on the shoulder and point at me and like he turned around and I was just holding off stage the photo of the snake <laughs> he laughed pretty hard now he's dead <laughs> no, Colin, he's, he's when, still very much he when we're in Germany I'm going to recreate all of your Charles memories okay. and I'm going to be Charles so you'll have to it'll be like uh, Jimmy Stewart and Vertigo you'll there's set a, me up there's a really funny picture from Germany of me and Charles but it looks like an album cover I'll show it to you a lot of people like still comment on it on, um, on Facebook or whatever final oh, question Charles. comes from Mr. Santana Will the touchpad will the touchpad function of the DualShock 4 eventually stop being a feature in games just like the 6 access function on the DualShock 3? There's barely any games that use that feature and it's a good thing to me. All I see the touchpad really, is really well well written question. <laughs> a gimmick that will be left in the uh, dust again. public speaking for you, Mr. Santana. I always forget. I hate it when the chair breaks like that. I always forget how like, I lose some weight. No, it's not. <laughs> I hate it when the chairs start doing the foldy thing. Um, I think I, I I totally think it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. I think it'll be an optional thing forever. In Killzone, it's awesome. I was actually surprising myself. I used it for the owl when I was playing Killzone Four. That makes sense. Um, First party will use it, and then no one will use it anymore. Yeah, Yeah, but it'll. I think it'll. It'll be one of those things. It's just. It's always there, but it's optional, and no one uses it. They use the buttons. You're talking about Vita or PS4? PS4 PS4 touchpad. I I still haven't like seen a demonstration of how it could be used in a game. It does something in Second Son. What? It's like you. I want to say like it might be how you get smoke powers or something. So, I don't you know. Killzone, I, I I played Infamous. I don't really remember that particular part of it. Killzone, yeah, like Killzone, it's quite useful in Killzone. Uh, yeah, but it's like it's owl, like right? it, yeah, like Owl. You call up Owl. It's to, faster than like switching to the D pad would be. You swipe up for one functionality, swipe left for stealth, swipe up for a turret or whatever. Like it's just faster and easier than I think. Uh, it's just in an awkward place though. I think yeah. I think the I think it'll be cool to have like some sort of cursor functionality with it on. Like menus and stuff, which you can just yeah, play. There, cool. there are games that'll be smart. Even um, Playroom is kind of cute, and you swipe out all your little toys so they can play with you. It just reminds me a lot of Vita in the sense that, like, this is like all the shit we saw, and like Vita doesn't use it anymore, and yeah. no one wants to use it on Vita. Don't get me wrong, I don't. Yeah, I do not want games to use it. I'm just saying they probably will continue to use it. I would be fine if it was never used ever again. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Podcast Beyond, episode 304. I can't believe it's already been a month since Beyond 300. I know, right? Time right. goes really quick. Start booking your tickets for 400 because we'll be here in two seconds. Uh, remember, we post Don't this start every Tuesday. We try to hit 2 p.m. 
Uh, I started that the other day, and I think I've made it one out of two. So maybe I'll hit it today, too. Uh, the podcast is great. We love that you download it. The, the podcast is great. Uh, but make sure you <laughs> go to you IGN. Thank you for liking our great podcast. <laughs> Please be excited for the next one. Uh, make sure you go to IGN.com, read the articles, watch the videos, participate in our comments. Be a bro or a gal. What's it? Is there, is there a feminine bro? Do that. Dudette. Be a dude or a dudette, as Michelangelo <laughs> would say. Uh, then follow us on Twitter. IGN. The IGN. Yeah. Or the Ninja Turtle. No, the, the well, artist. Both. Why not both? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. The artist like dudette. He was like, scar- he was, like sculpted. So he's like, hey, what's up, dude? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dudette. Uh, follow us on Twitter. IGN's IGN. I'm game over, Greggy. Colin is no taxation. Andrew. Go- I can't even read it off a of page. I, you know, I, I got to say something about this. Why is this so I don't hard? know. It's a mental block. It's Andrew Goldfarb is Garfep. Holy shit. Jesus. What was, you had a, a memory tool. No, that's still there. It's Greg always regrets fucking elderly people. But it's for yeah, some it's reason weird. when I start to read it, I go, Andrew. I feel like you're hamming it up now. I'm not. I swear to God. This, this really like happens to me. Look, now. it's fine. Greg's in love with me. I make him nervous. It's a little awkward. Andrew Goldfarb is Garfeb. Andrew Goldfarb is Garfeb. Damon Hatfield hosts all the IGN news videos <laughs> on YouTube.com slash IGN. Go watch those. Catch game scoops here and there. And follow him on Twitter at Dame Zero. Mm-hmm. Spell out zero. It's true. Every episode ends with a song. If you have a song for Ryan's wrap-up, send it to beyond at IGN.com. This one I ran into on my own, and I felt like it was so good it had to be played. Uh, this is, quote, Everything's Coming Up Millhouse, end quote, by Cosby Sweater, C-O-S-S-B-Y Sweater. Uh, this is a girl who sings nerdy songs that she writes. Or she writes original songs, and this Millhouse one makes a bunch of classic Simpsons references. Nice. It's awesome, really good. You can find her at YouTube.com, Cosby Sweater with two S's, or Twitter.com slash Cosby Sweater. She also has songs about Breaking Bad, The Hobbit, and Arrested Development. She's also adorable. These are things I that I like. Oh, did you watch that video that yeah. I, I put it up? Yeah, yeah, she's really good. Now, I'll try to set you guys up. How about that? Okay, sure. All right, good. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, everybody, this is Everything's Coming Up Millhouse. Beyond. Beyond. Beyond.
But she's like psycho. She's like, mind your own fucking business, bitch. Like she's just screaming at this woman. Yeah, it's so good. The internet. Ready, everyone? Mm. 